Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us in this episode of Taking the Road Less Traveled Through a Disrupted World with David Irvin and myself, Allie Stone. podcast is to have open-hearted, real conversations about our authentic journey through this disrupted time in our world. And we also feel that what we learn from this journey will be able to apply to an emerging new world when we come out the other side. In our commitment to make a difference to difference makers, we want to use this podcast to explore what's happening in this time in our lives and as well as what's happening in the lives of those of you who are committed to making a difference making a difference the authentic way. Now, David's mission is to connect leaders to their authentic selves, which inspires and enables them to have a meaningful impact on their organizations, communities, and even their families. David says leadership at its core is about influence and it has nothing to do with our titles or the letters behind our names or even the sizes of our offices. Leadership is about the capacity to inspire others to action. It truly is about making a difference. And Allie Stone has joined me on this journey as she has a deep understanding of what it means to lead authentically. She has spent the last 15 years of her career exploring what caring leadership looks like and how organizations can be built from the heart and still be truly successful. For Allie, leadership is life. She believes anything involving human connection is all interconnected in the experience of living. And she is passionate about working with other leaders who are inspired to create something similar. It is her belief that sharing her lessons will help other leaders gain deeper insights and understanding as to the infinite possibility that lies ahead for each of us when we connect with our hearts. Welcome, everybody, to this week's podcast, traveling through this coronavirus with authenticity and taking the road less traveled by having it connect us with our authentic self rather than deflecting and and running away from it. And it's just my uh, good fortune to have to be here together with you and with Allie Stone and to continue our conversation around how do we stay real during this time and how do we use whatever's going on in our lives to help us deepen our presence and be better leaders. And it is my good fortune today to have with us an incredible, authentic leader. And uh, you know, the, the cool thing about this is that, is that authentic leaders are drawn to this work. And I get a chance to learn from some of the best leaders in the world and some of the most finest human beings in the world. And so, Allie, I'm going to turn it over to you for a moment before we inter- formally introduce Trevor Muir, who's the CEO of SurePoint Group. And maybe you could just speak to why you invited Trevor into our conversation this week and your respect for Trevor. And then I would love to hear a little bit, Trevor, from you about how you see leadership and how you see being authentic strengthens your leadership. A little bit about just obviously you can tell us a little bit about your role and then how you got there. But we'll take it one, one step at a time here. Allie, I'll turn it over to you at this point. 
Sure, sounds good. Um, I actually think it's funny that I haven't brought Trevor to you sooner. <laughs> so sorry, Trev. I don't know if you're nervous or excited, but <laughs> I think you should have probably been here sooner. Um, yeah, I, so I met Trevor at the uh, Beck Summit in Kananaskis, uh, what, a year and a half ago now, probably? Um, I was doing uh, a session there on company culture and uh, it, Trevor and I connected, connected immediately. Uh, it was a really cool experience. I met uh, an incredible amount of amazing leaders at that event and Trevor hands down just takes the cake for me. So we've been really good friends ever since. Um, we have a lot in common as far as uh, leadership and how we feel about people and how we feel about leading from the heart. And so we finally can share a lot together. So I'm super grateful <laughs> that I got to meet you, Trev. And uh, I just wanted to say welcome to the podcast today. And I'm super excited to have you. And we're gonna we're gonna pick on you. We got two on one here, so this will be gonna be great. But no, we're just gonna have a a great conversation between the three of us. So yeah, and start with just telling us a little bit about your leadership role and what you do at SurePoint. And what SurePoint? So I I was a founder in SurePoint uh, back in '03, and I'll kind of run through this quickly and was a field guy, a tradesperson, uh, you know, I've shared this story lots, but I grew up on a farm in a small, small uh, farming community called Elmworth, uh, you know, very few people there, the town made up 10, 10 or 12 people and school was under 100 from kindergarten to grade nine. And I had, uh, you know, I had future aspirations of one day going to the Hockey Hall of Fame and, uh, and going to West Edmonton Mall and you know, that was my bucket list items and buying a new quad when I got older. Uh, and I ended up getting into a trade. Um, my dad was in one, so got into instrumentation, became a journeyman, ended up with SurePoint and had an opportunity to buy in. And there was 10 of us, 10% each, um, you know, all from Grand Prairie area. Uh, we had a, had a guy who'd been around there a long time, who was kind of our leader. And we thought, geez, we all come together and, and the 10 of us start this business and maybe one day we'll you know, go crazy. I have like 40 people. And, uh, and we, we grew from 2003 to 2012, we grew to uh, about 400 people. Um, and our revenues went from 4 million to over 90 million. Uh, we had sold in 2008 to a private equity firm, 60% of the business, uh, they were out of the U S and, and, uh, you know, things changed for us then and changed dr drastically for the worse, to be honest with you. Um, in 2011, 2012, kind of at the peak of our revenue, we were losing, you know, we were losing great people. We were having financial issues. And, and I had moved away from Grand Prairie to, uh, to Edmonton and started a branch here and was only coming to be here for a year uh, and ended up, ended up, you know, it became home. Um, and all I did really was replicate what we had done in Grand Prairie. I didn't have any business acumen, to be honest with you. And I, I didn't, I didn't know a lot about very much other than treat people good, attract really, really good people and, uh, and treat them well and built this culture of caring that we had. And we, we had a really successful branch down here. When I took over in 2013 as the CEO, the one thing that I recognized is we had lost that culture in spite of, we didn't have good processes and systems necessarily, but we had people who cared about, uh, about our company and really bled our colors and, they cared about us because we cared about them. And, and so the one thing that I recognized after, you know, contemplating whether I should take the role or not was if I, if I, you know, if I stay 
and we do this, um, we have to get that back. We have to bring people back together. And we ended up getting put into forbearance uh, like weeks after I became the CEO. And it was a scary thing. I didn't know what it was to be honest with you entirely, but it was steps towards foreclosure. And, and, and I remember waking up one night and I'd been looking for a way to rally the team and bring us all back together. And I was, I woke up at about two in the morning one night and I was just excited. It was like, this is it. You know, we rally around crisis extremely well at our company. And I was thinking more from a perspective of if somebody was suffering in our company or their kid was in the hospital or someone's wife or husband was sick, the, the company, the people in the company just rallied around them. Like it didn't matter what division, there was money raised and there was love and support and all of this stuff. And I was like, hey, we have a gift here. So I got my truck and I drove to all the branches. I started making phone calls. I got in front of every person in the company. I had coffee with people. I went to their houses. I went to the shops. I went out in the field. And I just told everyone the truth. I was like, we're, you know, we're in some trouble here. Um, I'm, I'm the CEO now and most of you know me and I'm way over my head. Um, and, and, you know, we're in forbearance and I don't know exactly what that means, but it's bad. And that was 2013 and it was really, really busy at the time. And I remember saying to the folks, look, I get it. If you want to go, there's jobs out there. Um, but I'm going to stay. And if you stay, I don't, I don't know how we'll get through, but I know together we can, and we can have something better than we've ever had. And honestly, the support and how the team rallied and, and you know, we didn't lose anyone. And we came through that and, and we ended up going into, you know, the, re, the downturn, the 2015 recession, so well prepared because we had been through forbearance. And so that helped us. So I look at things now and, and I used to think that the worst things, you know, like, you know, things turn out well in spite of the worst things that can happen. And now I believe that things turn out well because of the worst things that, that happen. And I've seen that experience in my personal life too. I struggled you know, for quite a few years with some other demons and, uh, and my worst day um, turned out to be the best thing. It, it was a catalyst for the change that I needed. And, and that's, that's what we found. And so, so we've gone into COVID here. We just went back to the playbook. We learned a lot about being patient. We learned a lot about caring about people and looking after people. And we just, you know, we just said, we're going to stay true to that. And we have, and so don't panic. You know, I like to say to our team, just don't die and everything will be okay. You know, get through anything else. You know about the value of realness and being honest and truthful and upfront and being real with people. Yeah, I I do. Um, you know, one of the things. So we we said people were quitting us in twenty third or before twenty thirteen. They were leaving, right? And a lot of people had been with us. So these were folks who had been offered five, seven, eight dollars an hour more to leave us, and they wouldn't leave. And all of a sudden they're leaving and they were calling me and saying, Trev, you know, I had a guy call me, a good friend of mine, he's still a good friend and he'd been with us since the beginning and he left and he called me crying actually, he'd been offered this amazing job. It was some unreal, um, good money and great, great opportunity. Uh, but he said, I, I feel bad, I don't wanna leave, but it just feels like nobody cares anymore. And so that hit me, like we're doing the same work for the same clients for less money. They love our people, but but they weren't, they didn't love SharePoint. And I realized our people didn't love us anymore. They felt like we betrayed them. And, and so it was like, Hey, you know, if what worked before was we cared and they felt like we cared, then let's do that again. Let's just care. And, you know, so we made our number one value, our core value and kind of the foundation of our business. We care. And there's a lot of risk in that. And we talked about that. If you say you care, every leader says they care. It's the right thing to say. And I actually think that most truly believe that they do. 
or want to, right? And it's hard, it's hard to show it sometimes, especially when you're facing fears and unknown, you're supposed to be super confident and have all the answers. And, you know, and I was like, I didn't have the answers and, and I did care about the people and I needed their help. And, and, uh, but I also say you can't fake sincerity. If you say, if you say you care and you say it often enough, people are going to start to hold you, you know, they're going to call you out on it. And we, we have been, and I certainly have been. Um, but I can tell you that by the thing that saved our, you know, our company was the fact that, our people helped and they couldn't have helped if I hadn't told them what was really going on. So, you know, I've, I've seen the value in it and I've seen the economic value in it as well. Well, thank you. It's a great story. And to me, it illustrates Trevor, two things that both Ali and I stand for. Uh, first of all, you can't separate authenticity from caring. Uh, you, if, if you try to be real and, and you, and the realness isn't about caring, you're not going to earn credibility. And secondly, authenticity isn't being perfect. Yeah. Quite, quite the opposite. It's Thank about human. And you don't have to, in fact, if you try, if your goal is perfection, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot because you're going to create an illusion of perfection because nobody's got it perfect. And you don't have to hide behind your insecurity of, of uh, doubting yourself. You're just real. But the, the thing that's, that really struck a chord for me in your story is the compassion. Yeah. Genuine. And people will cut you a lot of slack if they know you care. And I doubt if they'd cut you any if they didn't. That's a great point. And uh, I, I love that you said that because I get cut so much slack. Uh, you know, I, I have made you know, I can sit here and talk about how awesome it is and how things turn out good. And I just went and told the people the truth and they just, you know, supported me. And that was all true. But man, I made a lot of mistakes along the way and changed my mind a thousand times. And I, I, I like to remind people that, you know, I'm a human being and I, and I wake up scared and sometimes I have anxiety and I'm not actually sure, sure why or what to do. Um, I don't go and I, I'll go and be authentic with people. Uh, you know, I'll let them know what we're facing. I also let them know you know, I have confidence and I know that when we're going into COVID, I didn't, I, I was scared about some stuff, but I didn't have to go to a place of fear and stay there. I could share with the team that I wasn't sure, you know, that I was having some anxiety and some fears as well, but that I knew we could get through it. And I think that's really important. And it's something I learned, you know, when I run around in those moments of absolute fear and terror, which I can have sometimes, if I go and just tell everyone I don't know, and I'm scared to death, and then you know, run away, that's not productive and it's not helpful to me or to them. And that was something I learned. And you know what, um, I've been able to make mistakes and have people support me through that in, on this team and in my life. And I am super grateful for that. Uh, and I, I also say kindness, kindness is self-serving, right? We, we spend, uh, uh, I get to work with amazing people. And I say, you know, if I'm kind to, to 10 people, then 10 people are kind to me. And sometimes it's 20, 30, 40. Uh, and I get love and support uh, in this company and in my life from amazing people, in spite of the fact that I'm not perfect. And, and thank God that there's a lot of forgiving folks out there because uh, I've needed forgiveness. We call this in our program, the law of the echo, that whatever you be careful what you give out because it'll come back tenfold, right? Well, I want to explore your, your story and how you got here because that's what I'm fascinated in. But uh, before we go there, Ali, are there any questions or comments that you want to make? Yeah, I'm just curious about like Trev, your capacity to care. So um, Dave and I had a podcast I don't know, a few weeks back about that. 
and we talked about how caring uh, people who deeply care for other people, it can be challenging sometimes as well. And I know for me, growing into my deep capacity to care for people and, and as a leader to care for people that are in my company or that are around me or, you know, that I connect with, that hasn't always been an easy journey. Um, what has that journey been like for you growing into the type of person that you are now? That's a good question. I've actually never been asked that. Uh, I've never thought about it. It's, it's hard, right? Um, I, 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 keep going. <laughs> sorry, put, put me on the spot here. Uh, so I, I don't think that I really recognized that, especially early on. And, and, you know, when I was struggling, I, I, I spent most of my life afraid and insecure and, and I had all this awesome stuff going on in my life. And, you know, I had a fancy acre. We sold the company and had, more money than I thought I'd have. And, you know, I got to check the bucket list things and travel around the world and had a fancy acreage and a nice sports car. And, but I was so deeply scared of everything. And I, I often tell people I was afraid of everything. I was afraid of, I was afraid of failure, but I was actually more afraid of success and I was afraid to live and I was afraid to die. I didn't actually recognize how much I cared about people in spite of the fact that I really, really did. And that was one of the things that really helped me to kind of keep you know, keep from going in the ditch uh, throughout my life was I, you know, I really genuinely wanted to do the right thing and to help people succeed. And um, once I started to sort of get my life in order and start to be vulnerable and open up and learn a lot more about myself and started to really recognize that I do care a lot, I started to feel it. And it can be really, really, really hard. And, and as a leader in an organization, there is a, there is a battle sometimes between that you have to restructure your business. And if you don't, then the business isn't there. I had to work really hard on rationalizing that and, and put it into a place. If we don't let Sue go, then, you know, Sue and Joe, then we end up with, and, and Fred and Bert, then we end up putting 200 people out of job potentially. And so as hard as it is to do, we still have to do the right thing. But I think that we've learned, and I certainly have, Anytime you're going to let somebody go anytime for any reason, if they screwed up and they messed up or they don't fit your culture or you just have to restructure and there's layoffs, that person is leaving and they're going to tell somebody that they lost their job. They have to. There's this whole emotional context that goes with that and every human being goes through it and they have to, they have to leave and they're going to feel shame and guilt and fear and sadness and regret and anger and all of that stuff. And the only thing that we can do is be as empathetic as possible you still, if you're a leader and it has to be done, you still have to do it. But I think you can do it in a way that's compassionate. I, I have, you know, my, my wife put a test this. I, I agonize about this stuff. I have, I've shed tears over having to let somebody go, um, knowing it's the right thing for the business, but uh, also knowing that, you know, they're going out and, you know, you're going you're gonna to hurt somebody and that's tough. Mm -hmm. And I think part of caring and that capacity to care is leaning into the vulnerability. I almost call it like the ache or like the heartache that comes sometimes with it. And it's like, you know, you can think about it just in life, but it's like opening up to love, right? And being open to love, it may feel easier to shut off to that. <laughs> but in the end, it's actually not going to serve you and make your life better. But um it's leaning into that vulnerability and being okay. You feel some of that shame. When I let people go, I feel some of that shame. I hate it. Like same as you, Trev, like I have sat and cried in my cornflakes for sure over letting people go. And it's not, 
I like, I am right there with them as much as I can be. And I, it's, it's challenging. Right. And so that capacity to care isn't always the good side of the story, if that no. makes sense. And, and can be very, can be very exhausting and, yes. and uncomfortable. And, and, and it held me back from making decisions, the right decisions soon enough at times too. you know, I've drug, drug on because of that fear. Cause the truth is I don't like to feel that, you know, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, as much as it's about the other person, it's also about me. It's, it's selfish. It's an ucky feeling and I don't like it at all. Yeah. Um, it makes me feel sad. And when I feel sad, I don't like feeling sad. So, um, but I did learn that, that, that there's, you, you know, it has to be done. And as long as you do it in a way that is, uh, that is empathetic and compassionate and respectful, some people are still going to be angry and, and some people are still going to be mad. My big thing is, can I go home at night after I've done it and answer those questions? Was I respectful? Did I show empathy? Did I show compassion to the best of my ability? And if I can, then it helps. It helps me some. Mm -hmm. So Trevor, you have a rare quality that I don't often see in CEOs. And here's what it is. Yes, it's, it's one thing to have a heart and it's one thing to care about people and do all this um, humanity work but you also got to build a company and you got to be tough and you got to be strategic and you got to be analytical. How the hell do you do both? And you have to be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I, crazy. <laughs> I, so I don't, I don't know. Like, um, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a strong strategy guy. Uh, you know, I, I'm intuitive, uh, go, go with my, my gut. I was driving around in Niski back in 2007, 2008, needed to find some work for myself. Cause I just moved here for a year for family reasons. There's rigs all over the place. And it was like, Hey, if I want to be home, cause then I was down here now with my family, but then I was traveling to Slave Lake and all over the place. I might as well have stayed in Grand Prairie. Um, and I'm like, I gotta get in. I gotta figure out something to do with rigs. And the universe kind of just works out. Sometimes I went to, I met a guy in a, bathroom at a Joey's in a bar in the lounge and said hi to him while we're washing our hands and he was from Australia and long story short um, ended up having too many beers and the next day met him again because he wanted to actually believe that because uh, I told him we could build him a drilling rig system and we then at the end of the night I told him I'd never been on a drilling rig and uh, the next day he met two weeks later we flew over and we signed a contract and turned into a 20 million dollar business and we became one of the biggest rig builders in in western Canada I um, mean, we built a team around just, you know, we're attracting awesome people who are building rigs. And, and so it was sort of some things just worked out, to be honest with you. And then when I got into this leadership role and became the CEO, uh, I didn't, I've never actually, like the titles never meant that much to me. There's a team of people, we talk about stuff and we have always known sort of directionally which way to go. Uh, and so we, you know, we're in the oil and gas business. We were like, Hey, let's, let's get some more work doing instrumentation electrical with really good people. And so we also have a different, I think our approach to it, with our clients is different. We build really good long lasting relationships with our clients. We don't actually work for the emblem. We very seldom think about working for, you know, the, the corporation we work for, you know, we work for Darren and we work for Lori and we work for, you know, for, uh, for the people you know, the Michelle is the Robs the Patrick's, the Jays of the world. And we actually took that as a strategy early on. We're like, 
especially when, when we were going through tough times, we were honest with our clients as well about it. We had clients that turn a check around, like huge organizations that can take a month for it to go through all the people. And you know, you show up with, with some flowers and some donuts to the right gal in an organization and you can get a check the next day. And, and, you know, we were grateful and we kept those relationships going. Um, and we also knew when we were going into 2015, like the people we work for are dealing with fears as well. We actually did something then and something recently. We, when we saw the downturn coming in COVID too, we reached out to our clients as we did back in 2015 and said, look, we know that you're under a lot of pressure, you know, Darren, and, and we know that, that, you know, you're going to likely have to ask us to take a, a cut. We, we want to offer to sit with you and let's figure it out. We don't want, we want to take that fear and anxiety away from you because nobody likes calling anybody and asking them to give something up. And so we just took a really human approach to everything that we've done. And it is, it has paid off brilliantly. Like when I talk about how awesome the SharePoint people are, our clients, our vendors, like they just treat us so damn good and, and they help us. We have to ask them for help too. And so I don't know if I answered your question, but you know, I, Dave's like, uh, yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. It's like I was telling Dave um, before you came on today, I'm like, we just have like incredible conversations about business, leadership, life. Like we just kind of seem to be able to connect and get into all of it. I think that um, the, the relationships with people are so incredibly important. And I've been doing a lot of like uh, talking and thinking around the importance of giving right now, even though leaders are so stressed, they are maxed out. Um, I'm maxed out. My leadership team is maxed out, but we need to continue to like give into these relationships right now and try not to ask a lot back because this is what builds these really long-term, beautiful, deeply rooted relationships with the people we do business with. Right. So it's super, super important. I'm really interested in you as a human being. Oh, thank you. How do you get to this point? Were there defining moments? Uh, were there experiences? Were there um, points of, uh, that were turning points for you that made you who you are today? Can you speak to any of that? How do you attribute this kind of presence in your leadership? Um, yeah, I, th I think I, you know, I think I had some good influences that, you know, certainly I, I, I had leaders, I had bosses or leaders, uh, in my past that exemplified some of these things. And I, I remember, I remember the people that I looked up to and I used to think, you know, why, if I got called to go to work on a Sunday or, uh, you know, on the way to a wedding or, or, uh, on a family vacation, I'd always go to work. Like the phone rang, I, I would do it. But I, I often would ponder like, why do I, why do I want to for some people, not others? I'll always do it. It's my job. And I, and I wanted, to, I wanted to get paid and do the right thing. But there were some leaders that uh, that certainly I wanted to for them. If they called me at two in the morning, I wanted to do, go and and do it for them. And I remember thinking about that a, a lot. And they were leaders who showed me that they would, you know, they would go out at two in the morning and do it. And if I called them and needed help, they would be there. And so I, you know, I had good examples. Um, I I had some real big struggles in my life, uh, and and again, not not because there were bad things happening to me. And, and I really had a hard time, I guess, identifying with why I felt the way I felt, to be honest with you, for so much of my life, why I was scared and felt insecure. And probably more than anything, why was I afraid to share that 
you know, I, I, why, why couldn't I, if you'd have met me 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I'd you'd be like, how's your life? I'd be like, it's awesome. You know, everything's good. You know, got all the stuff and great friends. And th that was all true, but I didn't feel that way when I got alone in the dark uh, and, and it was all alone. I was, I was afraid to be alone. I was, uh, I, I felt sad. I felt lonely. I, I felt lonely when I was alone and I felt lonelier when I was around people. Um, I, and I didn't know why. And I felt like I was the only person who could feel that way. And I actually got to where, like, I felt terrible about feeling terrible. I'd feel so guilty. I have all this stuff. I have everything that everybody wants, everything. Um, yet I'm feeling terrible inside and how dare I, and how would people view me if they knew that? And, and so I hit a really, I hit a really low bottom. Um, and, and I had all this stuff and thankfully, you know, uh, I continued to, to keep, to keep it, but that was a turning point for me. I woke up one day and I had to change my life that day or else it was going to, going to end. And, uh, um, I, so I ended up, I ended up doing something that was unique for me. I ended up truly reaching out for help. So I found some humility and, and, and you know what, I found out that this big, scary thing that I was afraid of was okay. You know what? I, I, I found out that I wasn't, I wasn't alone. Actually, there are other people do it too. Then I started thinking, well, why didn't anybody tell me what anyone else say, you know, and I get it. It's the same fear, the fear of being judged and fear of being thought of less than, and all these masks that we wear in our life. And I, and I did. And, and, uh, and so for me, it became almost, well, you know, it became extremely important to be, to be authentic and to, and because I saw the benefit of doing that pretending that I wasn't a human being and that I didn't have feelings and I wasn't scared. That didn't do me very well. And also the biggest thing was when I reached out for help, it was there and I got to find out that I wasn't alone. I have a friend who says, uh, you know, he used to suffer from terminal uniqueness. I'm like, I had that disease too. I get it, you know, and, and now, and now I don't. And so I really started to understand that it doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company, you know, or you're a school teacher or you, or you teach swimming lessons or you sweep the floor at a shop. Fundamentally, we are all the same. You know, I, I worry about the same stuff. I, I don't have the financial worries of somebody who doesn't have any money, but I worry that my family's going to be healthy. I worry when my kid does something stupid that, you know, he's not going to learn lessons from it. I, I worry about my parents are getting older and getting sick. I, I feel terrible when somebody I'm close to is suffering, like every other human being on the planet. And so, I don't think we're that different, to be honest with you. And I think we have different roles to play. And I also found out that by me sharing some of my experiences in a healthy way, um, other people identify. And I've had a lot of people, you know, after I've said, hey, I struggled, or they've come back to me and said, oh my God, I have two and I didn't, you know, I don't know what to do about it. And that's how I was. And there were people there to help me. So I've often said, uh, thank you. Thank you, by the way, for your honesty about that. I, I've often said, that when you hit rock bottom, you have the capacity to reach people in ways that you couldn't before because you've seen the whole spectrum and you've experienced the whole spectrum of the human experience. And then you are able to have this compassion for people who might be hurting in this time, who might be afraid of their job because you can identify your own fear. Like I can relate it to my own journey through the darkness of depression and addiction and coming to grips with who I am. I couldn't do this work and work with CEOs and work with senior executives. 
I couldn't work with human beings had I not faced some of that in myself. Yeah. And understanding, I never know anybody else's experience, but I can, I have the ability to reach them because I, from my own experience. Is, I don't know how you would articulate that. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think as soon as you're relatable, if you're authentic and you, and you share your feelings, pe people are quick to share their experiences, you know, what, or their thoughts. And, you know, I, I, was the, I was the same way. I wanted to tell, I wanted everybody to know what I thought and how smart I was. And, you know, and the reality is I was afraid to tell people how I felt. And I'm way more interested these days in understanding how, yeah, I want to know, you know, at a time when we're experiencing COVID, I don't want to know what our team thinks. I know what they think. Uh, we've got a strategy and we've got a, a plan built on how we execute on things. I want to know how they're feeling at this time. You know, what is really going on in your heart and your head, you know, and how is that affecting your stuff day to day? And what I was saying before, when we went into COVID and we made the list of, you know, this is what we have to do. We have to take this much cost out and our revenue is going to go. Um, we knew that there was a potential for a wage subsidy program uh, we didn't know what it looked like and we're not a super profitable company, but you know, we, we, so we made a list of all the people we were going to have to let go. And we went over it on a Friday. I was in quarantine at the time, um, cause I was sick and I couldn't get tested. I didn't have COVID, but I ended up being locked in an apartment by myself for a few weeks, which turned out to be a good thing. It gave me some time to think. And so on this Friday, I called the team back and said, uh, we were going to do the cut, the layoffs Monday. And I said, no, don't. I said, Guys, we got to, you know, A, we think that there might be a wage subsidy program. And if there is, then we can, we can keep people longer. Um, but I said, this is not a normal time for anybody. Anytime you let someone go and you go through that experience, it's tough, right? And it's hard. But people don't have the normal coping mechanisms or the, or the skills. They can't go hang out with their, with their, they can't go see their parents. They can't go have a beer with a buddy. They can't, they can't, uh, you know, go, go and, and swipe left and get a date. Like there's all these things that normally they have in any other downturn. And I said, this time it's so important. This is going to be so emotionally hard anyway. People have a fear of a disease that we know nothing about. Fear of their parents getting sick and them getting sick. They also have a fear of financial insecurity that never faced like this before. All of these fears, we have to at least give people some time to normalize through this. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, if we hadn't gone through what we went through and I hadn't in my life, I don't, I wouldn't have had the capacity to, to really consider all of that stuff. And so we were able to keep with the, we were able to keep all our, all our overhead people and, uh, and keep guarantee our wage, guarantee our field staff minimum wages. I said, it's, it's not even if they make as much as they would on the CERB or not, it's about having a purpose. They still have a job. If they work 20 hours, they're still a part of something. And it's been a really cool experience for us. COVID's going to be a time we'll remember forever for a number of reasons. But at SharePoint, it's going to be the time when we got to keep the team together and we got to think of them in a different way. And we're going to come through this and we're going to be strong and we're going to have our team and, and we're buying loyalty. I mean, it's, we're building a loyal loyalty. So it, again, it's self-serving, right? You know, so. You know, I always say, um, uh, let's not waste this crisis. This that we're in, right? There's a tremendous opportunity here, and you've just captured it and illustrated beautifully this whole thing that we talk about authenticity. Like you live it, you inspire me, and it's been such a an honor to uh, spend a few minutes with you today. Well, Allie, have you. I missed any questions that you want to ask Trevor while we got him? 
I feel like we've got no more tough movie, ones. Movie star here. We got to make sure we get them for everything we've got. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or torture, one or the other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're making me blush here. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I'm, I'm just really appreciative of you coming and sharing your story. I think it's really inspiring. Um, the last time I saw you, we talked about how each of us had handled COVID in our companies. And uh, when you told me that story, I was extremely inspired. I felt uh, motivated and, and moved to get back to work and get back to my people that day. And I think just by you sharing stories like that, it helps other leaders realize that there's always a way, you know, like we can always, if you truly believe in the power of people in your organization, there's just, there's always a way and we can always find that together. So I think you highlighted that beautifully today. So I just wanted to say thank you. Well, thank you for, thank you for that. Uh, you know, there, there's sacrifices made by our team through this, right? For us to be able to do what we did. Some of our people took massive pay cuts, you know, some of the leaders went way, way down so that we could kind of normalize and still make money. And that's why I know we'll always get through any of these things. And, and so it's not me and it's not, it's not my ideas and it's not, you know, it's, it's not that I came up with this super plan, the support, you know, we throw, we throw things on the wall and the stuff that sticks and support we get. And it took everybody. We, you know, one of the things we did in 2015 was we went to the group and said, we're going to keep as many people employed for as long as we can. What to do that? And we went to the, I said this to the whole company, you know, at different groups. To do that, all of us have to give up something. And if everybody's against it, then I have to go into a room with a group of people and we have to put names on a wall and we're going to have this, that. And I was clear, this doesn't mean that we're not going to have to let people go at some point, but we can make, you know, we can keep people for longer if we do this. And every single person was willing to give up. And this time we, same playbook. And, and people dropped immediately. And it was like, let's, let's as a team try and keep as many people together. And, you know, SharePoint's our family. I just want to say one thing, Dave, you, you said something about don't squander these opportunities or don't let these, these times pass, right? And I'm a big believer in that and we are. And so we, we made some massive screw ups at SharePoint. Like we broke expensive things and, you know, our team gets scared. I remember one time years ago, we were working for a client pretty new with them and a big target for us. And we went, we got in and we're so excited and, and our commissioning team broke, broke a valve stem on this huge mainline valve. Of, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars it was. And I'm at home on the acreage on a Sunday and I get a phone call from our, from our leader out there and he's freaking out. He's like, Oh my God, we just broke the valve. And, and you know, um, this, the, the startup is on Tuesday. And we know that it's, we don't know anything about it other than it's expensive and there's no way in hell they're going to start up on a Tuesday now. And so they're freaking out and they said, what do we do? I said, guys, you know, it's unfortunate we didn't mean to do it. Like you didn't intentionally do it. I said, here, do this. Send, send an email, like do, a, do an incident report, send an email and send it to the guy we're working for who was the Canadian com commissioning coordinator. Um, and I said, I said, guys, this isn't terrible. We'll, like we'll fix it. And I said, but we're going to get an opportunity tomorrow. I'm going to get a phone call from somebody senior, super senior in this organization, like so far up that if we did a great job for 10 years, I'd never get a chance to meet him. I'm going to get a chance to meet him tomorrow and, or the next day. And he's going to insist on, on me coming in there and he's going to get to see how we, how SharePoint is when we do this. I said, we're not going to, now that this has happened, we're not going to squander this opportunity. And I say this lots to some people, you know, in our, that we work with and peers. And I'm like, never squander an opportunity. Like when you screw up so bad that you think, you know, you're getting fired and calm down and don't squander that opportunity to build a better partnership with your client because it's, because it's there. 
and and we so went to the meeting that we knew a bunch of people there i walked in and the first thing i said was i'm trevor and i was the general manager at the time i was uh sure point and we you know guys doesn't have to be a very long meeting we broke your valve we didn't mean to here's what happened you know it was on commissioning we could have come up with a story we said we screwed up here's here's what we recommend that you guys do with the next commissioning company to make sure it doesn't happen again um whether you use us or not we'll do the right thing we'll fix it we don't have a lot of money we're not a very big company but we have insurance for this stuff and even if you fire us we'll do the right thing it took the energy out of the room everything stopped it could have cost us over 200 grand and they charged us 15,000 they charged us for the valve stem and and so we have real life experiences of just going be honest and own your shit and you know and uh and and those times that are so dark in your life where you think it's the end it's actually often the beginning and and some something way better can come from it so there thanks i could listen to your stories man all day beautiful well, i appreciate that inspiring me truly sincerely well, thank you and uh, i knew this would be great when uh ali introduced me to you and i just wish you all the best my friend yeah well you as well and it's super super awesome to meet you and i hope we can get together in person and you know uh, I have so much respect for Ali as well. And as I said, uh, when I met her at Bax, I, uh, I was uh, emotionally, um, definitely emotionally uh, touched by how authentic she was in her story. And, and I just love people who will, you know, share that stuff. And so that, you know, I get a lot out of it and it helps me. And I certainly have heard so much about you and how you help people and help people come to terms with where they're at in their life and help them to become better leaders and open up and, I respect what you're doing, so it's an honor to meet you. Thank you so much for joining us once again for another episode of The Other Everest. It's our mission to continue to bring you engaging, heartwarming, and inspiring content. So if you have any feedback or suggestions, please feel free to visit davidirvin.com at any time, as we would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please rate it or subscribe or simply share the episodes with people you know who would also enjoy this conversation. Authentic leaders create ripples in time. Those ripples extend to generations yet unborn. And it's not just impact in the here and now, but impact in here and forever. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for being a part of this journey with us. Until we meet again.